Hi there, I am Sarah Jane Case, and I am the host of your new favorite show, Enneagram and Coffee. This podcast is dedicated to discussing the beautiful and hard parts of being human. We use the tool, the Enneagram, a personality map that has taken over the world for increased self-compassion, personal growth, and healthier relationships. If this sounds up your alley, listen to Enneagram and Coffee on the iHeart app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts online. Hello, everyone. Today, I am chatting with Jessica Matson. Jessica is part of my Mothers from Around the World series, and she lives just outside Toronto, Ontario. She is a mom of two children, ages two and eight months. She works in user experience for an insurance company, and she loves running. In today's episode, she talks about her wonderful experience postpartum, which included multiple postpartum visits with her midwife happening in her home after her baby arrived, as well as universal healthcare and the overall motherhood experience she has received. Let's dive right in. Good morning, Jess. We're really happy to have you today. I'm excited to be here. So you are living just outside of Toronto, up in Canada, and I don't know if you know this because I don't mention it very much, but my mom's whole side of the family is from Quebec. Oh, okay. Yeah, so my mom used to go to Quebec a lot growing up, and I've always wanted to visit there. Still haven't made it up there. (laughs) Never been to Canada at all? No, not at all. And Mm. that's, I mean, I'm 50% French Canadian. So (laughs) I'm like, we got to go up there sometime. And Quebec is beautiful. Yeah, that's what I hear, especially like in the in the wintertime, like during Christmas, there's like a lot of like, stuff going on, I heard. I don't know. Yeah, as as long as you're used to the snow, it's beautiful. Well, that I love. (laughs) So I was just saying this the other day. I cannot tolerate the heat anymore. And I'm sure you're probably very similar because you're living in Canada. And you get really used to the colder temperatures. I mean, I'm in Connecticut, it does get hot, but this weekend it was yesterday was like 85. I can't tolerate it anymore. Yeah, we've we've had a few um days <sighs> like that too the last the last week where it's been, you know, unseasonably hot for May. And my son is just like living outside in the backyard these days. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been uh, I, I mean I, I can't complain because but where we are, we're pretty much uh, locked down to our houses. Yeah. And so it's, uh, at least we can get outside now with the nice weather, but it, it has been very hot. Yeah. So actually, so I was actually talking with someone from Germany last week about their, because they're really like tightly locked down over there right now as well. And so do you want to just touch on that a little bit? Because it's pretty crazy over there right now, as far as the lockdown goes, right? It is. Yeah. So we have had you know, some of the strictest restrictions, I maybe the strictest across North America. Um, so right now in Ontario, we, we have what they call a stay at home order. And so, you know, they're, they're really asking us not to leave our homes unless we're getting groceries or going to the pharmacy. Uh, and those are really the only places that are open. So, you know, you can't go to a clothing mm. store, you can't go uh, to Home Depot even. Wow. And then, and then, of course, they're asking us, you know, not to gather with anyone outside of our household. They just this weekend opened outdoor amenities. So now we're mm-hmm. able to, well, not me, but other people can go golfing and uh, use the tennis courts and stuff like that. 
but our, our numbers are improving uh, quite drastically. So uh, they've kind of laid out this reopening plan over the course of, of June. So hopefully, you know, by, by the end of June, beginning of July, things will look a little bit more normal around here. So was it, was it the positivity rate, like pretty up there? I, I, it's, I, it's not, I mean, I guess, you know, it's, it, I think right now it's around five or 6%. Oh, okay. You know, we have a population, I think, around 15 million and our cases are, uh, you know, in the, in the peak of this third wave, they call it, they were at about 4,500, but now they're down to about 1,500 okay. cases for our population. So quite small in terms of, you know, what some of some other countries have seen, but uh, uh, we've been taking sort of the restrictions and the lockdown quite conservatively. So yeah. You know, so I, I haven't been able to get my hair done in quite a while. We just had this this big uh, uh, issue where you know we needed something from Home Depot, but they're only doing curbside pickup, and it it <laughs> took way more days than uh, you know we wanted. And so, uh, looking forward to getting back to normal life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I can only imagine. I mean, we just for the first time in a long time, just went below 1% here in Connecticut. So that was really exciting. And so, I mean, basically everything. So for those listening, if you're not listening, like right when the episode comes out, we're doing this podcast, it's Monday, May 24th. And so we just started opening a lot of things in Connecticut. In fact, went into Costco without a mask over the weekend. So oh my gosh, I I can't imagine. Yeah, I couldn't either. And to be honest with you about, I would say 75% of people were still wearing a mask, right? Um, you know, and you don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. So maybe some of those were unvaccinated people, or, you know, I know a lot of vaccinated people are still not comfortable taking off their mask. I am comfortable. I mean, our family's been exposed (laughs) multiple times and we've been vaccinated. So I'm kind of at the point where I'm like ready to ditch this thing. Yeah. You know, but I do, I, a lot of people I do talk with are, are still very wary and, and will still wear their masks in the store, which is, you know, I mean, to, however you feel comfortable, right? Honestly, I don't see the mask mandate being lifted in Canada probably until the fall. Like we, we've yeah. had quite a different strategy to our vaccinations as well, because yeah, we had a lot of supply issues in the beginning. We, we really weren't getting them in very quickly. And so they've decided on, on this four month interval between shots. And so instead of getting sort of the entire or, you know, most of the population fully vaccinated, they're working on getting as many shots into arms as possible. Yeah. And so I think now we've actually passed 50% of our population with one shot. And they just opened it up to everyone 12 and up here in Ontario. And so, you know, hopefully in the next little bit, that's really going to help our numbers and, and help us open stuff up. Because, you know, I think it's it's been hard for me as somebody on maternity leave, you know, to not have many options in terms of things to do with the kids. Yeah. And so I'm just uh, excited for, you know, to get them out a little bit more this summer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> So you have two kids? I have two kids. Yep. So I have a two and a uh, two and a half. He'll be three in September. And his sister is uh, eight months, almost nine months. Excellent. And so have you always lived where you are now? Pretty close to it. Yeah. I grew up in a city called Hamilton. So just about an hour from, from where we are. And most of my family is still there. So, so we're all sort of in the area. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to chat with us about, I think we should probably start with like prenatal care and how 
Canada handles prenatal care, you know, like how many visits can you expect? How many ultrasounds can you expect, you know, towards the end, you know, how are they monitoring you and what the options as far as, you know, a hospital birth center versus hospital versus home birth, just like what your options are. Yeah. So, so with, with both of my kids, I, um, I had midwife care. So, uh, in Canada, it's probably similar. I'm assuming in the U S you have, you have the choice of whether you want to have a midwife or whether you want to sort of go the, the primary care slash OB route. And so it's, it's an either or thing here. So I chose midwife care because, you know, I really like sort of the philosophy behind uh, midwifery and, and the idea that sort of I'm in control of, of this process and lots of information and, and lots of care. So I'm extremely happy with the, with the midwife care I received through my pregnancies. But obviously, I've heard lots of, of great stories of my friends in OB care as well. Uh, yeah, so in, in Ontario, we have uh, OHIP, so U- universal health care. So the nice thing is we're not concerned about cost. So from a midwife perspective, they just they use OHIP or they'll actually treat treat you even without universal health care here. So so midwives will not turn anybody away. So um, regardless of your immigration status, you can still get midwife care in Canada or in Ontario, sorry. But uh, you may obviously have to pay for your hospital stay if you don't have if you're not a resident of Ontario. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so um, from a midwife perspective, obviously it was it was a little bit different with both of my kids because my two and a half year old who was born in 2018 was not born in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, so hard. Yeah, and so so our visits were a little bit more regular then, and so uh, you know I think it's every four weeks for the first 24 weeks or something like that, and then you move to every other week. And then your weekly, sort of your last, I think from 36 weeks on. And then our standard ultrasounds here, you would get like a dating ultrasound usually mm-hmm. around 12 weeks to, to you know, make sure that the pregnancy is viable and, and let you know what your due date is. And then there's a 20-week ultrasound as well, which is like obviously the anatomy one, the big one. And then any other ultrasounds, obviously, as needed. So those are the two, at least from a midwife perspective, that are kind of the the key ones. And then I had a couple extras with both my kids, actually, for different reasons. But I don't think there's any others that are sort of standard here. Have you ever had any issues with getting appointments or anything as with universal, universal health care? I know a lot of people were like, you know, in different countries, we'll say sometimes it's harder to get in because there's so many people like trying to get in. But have you ever had any issue with that? I haven't. So, you know, it's it's funny because I hear that sort of, you know, from people in other countries sometimes like, yeah. oh, you know, the, the waiting period is is crazy. But that's certainly not my experience. Yeah. The only thing I will say is that midwife care in Ontario is quite popular. So I know some midwife clinics run wait lists just because, you know, they're at capacity and because I think there's been a bit of a surge in popularity. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be hard in some jurisdictions, I think, to get a midwife. So some people end up sort of going to another city for care if they really are attached mm-hmm. to having a midwife or they just have to go the traditional OB route. There's no sort of situations where people can't get access to care. Now, are there ever clinics that have the OB and the midwives working together as a team or is it, are they always separate? So from my experience, they're always separate. Interesting. You know, I, I can't say for sure. 
So like my midwives, for example, they have um, obviously hospital privileges and they work quite closely with some of the doctors there. So yeah. So actually with my with my son during delivery, you know, I had my midwife the, the whole delivery. It was just her uh, and I and my husband. And then right at the end, my son needed a little bit of extra support to come out. So he needed yeah. uh, his heart rate was going down quicker than they, they'd like during the contractions when I was pushing. And so they called in an OB and he did the sort of vacuum, vacuum extraction, I yeah, think, yeah. or the, you know, the suction. And so they they work very closely, I think, you know, okay. with hospital doors. But I'm I'm not aware of whether there are clinics out there where they may work together. Um, they certainly have have great partnerships, and they won't hesitate to refer you to an OB if there's some some more serious complications. Like my my yeah. sister had an example where she was uh, she needed a little bit of extended maternal care, so she she was a bit high risk in in some things. And so uh, she was seeing an OB, but her midwives actually stayed on more in a support role, kind of she kept her appointments with them, but they weren't able to be there at the birth because of COVID restrictions. So so she ended up with an OB delivery. But typically, I think they would have allowed the midwife to be there for the birth as well. Um, it's just there's a lot of hospital restrictions right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. I mean, when I had given birth back in July, it was, it was very much like that. I think, I think it's probably loosened up somewhat because at least at my hospital, people are allowed to have visitors now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like over the weekend I worked and the area I was in is, is more faster paced. So we don't usually let visitors over there just because there's so many patients. Um, but in the main area, yeah, you're allowed to have one visitor back with you now. So <clears throat> I'm assuming oh, they're allowing, you know, partners to go up without even being tested or anything as far as that goes, like, you know, during the, the delivery. But yeah, it was, it was really wild because when I went in in July, I was rushed in like from the OB office and I was of course by myself because my husband can't come to the appointments. I just got checked in and it was just like, it was really scary because there was a lot going on and he's having to like figure out how to get the kids care at home rushes in and you know, they're like, well, you have to get COVID tested for it. It's just, it's just, it was just such a wild ride. I'm sure you know exactly <laughs> what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. And it, it certainly like, you know, I, I know some moms prefer sort of a quiet hospital stay, but I actually loved with my first you know, having my parents and my in-laws kind of come and, and meet the baby in hospital. And that was like a really special sort of time for us. So I was sad that we didn't get that, you know, that same sort of thing with my second or, you know, that, uh, that typical sort of uh, picture where the the toddler climbs onto the bed and meets the baby for the first time in the hospital. Um, You know, we, we didn't have that. But the really nice thing about midwife care here, I don't know, it might be the same over there as well, is that with an uncomplicated vaginal birth, obviously, that you, you can actually choose to leave the hospital, I think within four hours. So so we checked into the hospital around midnight. Um, My daughter was born at two, she came pretty quick. And um, we were home by like 630 in the morning. So with everything going on with COVID and you know, with the toddler at home, we just decided we'd rather sort of recover at home. And so we did that. And then the midwife came by the next day and just checks on the baby, make sure everything's good. But it was that it was a really nice option for us. Yeah, actually, the the woman I spoke with in Germany said the same thing. She she was home in four hours too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think some people, you know, they, they, they're like, Oh, my goodness, like, that's, 
that's nuts. But uh, for me, it was just nice to sleep in my own bed and, um, you know, have a shower in my own shower. And my parents were here uh, watching my toddler. So, you know, so we did, we, we got a little bit of extra sleep while they, while they stayed with him for a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it was nice. And especially with everything going on, I was like, I don't know that we want to be in the hospital longer than we need to be uh, right. now. So yeah, so it was nice, uh, a nice option. So in, in Ontario, you have, uh, when you have a midwife, so our midwives had the option of obviously a home birth or a hospital birth. Um, and then some midwives will also offer a birth center. So ours aren't connected with a birth center. So we didn't have that option. But uh, many here have, you know, a partnership or they have their own birth center. And so, you know, you're able to give birth there. So I, I did, you know, think a little bit about a home birth. But I think just with what happened with my son needing a little bit of extra help to come out and needing a little bit of OB support in the hospital, um, we just felt more comfortable giving birth in the hospital where, you know, we had, we had extra support if we needed it. Yeah, definitely. So can you explain a little bit about what the hospital room looks like, what they offer? I know here in the States, there's not much of anything. I mean, maybe every hospital differs, but you know, I did love the hospital I gave birth at four times, but when I was learning more about in Germany, the hospitals and what they offer, I mean, I was like really taken back because they have literally anything and everything you could ever want to birth with within the rooms. Like she said, there was stuff hanging from the ceilings. There was like all types of balls everywhere that you could use for birthing. There was like oh wow everything. Yeah. So I was like, what? <laughs> I'm just curious, like what was there anything that they offered within the hospital birthing room that was different than like a regular hospital room? No, I would say the hospital that we gave birth at is, I think, a little bit older. So they, you know, they they had kind of all this, all the standard stuff. And mm-hmm. the midwife sort of talks to you beforehand about, you know, what, what kind of aids you might be interested in for pain management and that kind of thing. And so they might bring some stuff to the hospital as well. But but yeah, I think that probably the ones in Germany are are ahead of us as well. But I think like you said, it really varies based on the hospital, how new it is, sort of how how much they really sort of, you know, put emphasis on L&D versus, uh, versus other things. Yeah. You know, I've heard great things about a couple of the newer hospitals here. And certainly the birth centers here are a lot more like that, right? Where you would have so many different options for birthing. But ours was was definitely more traditional, sort of no uh, no special. Uh, no special objects or anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about you. I know you mentioned that. I think you said the midwife came the next day to check on the baby and everything. So how does postpartum care work? Do you always have like that, like 24 hour or 12 hour follow up afterwards at home? Or how does it typically work? Yeah, so and and like, I can really only speak to our midwives, I don't know sort of how, how it works with other midwives, I assume it's probably similar. Mm -hmm. But ours were so wonderful. And so uh, yeah, especially, you know, with my daughter, we checked out of the hospital that morning. So we had only been there for four hours, but everything, you know, she was obviously a very healthy little girl and and everything looked good. And so the midwives came the next day, they did, you know, they do the typical weight check. They do a couple of the tests 
because I know there's a few tests that they have to wait 24 hours to do in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so the midwife comes back and does those uh, right in your home, which is lovely. Um, so, you know, you barely have to get out of bed if you, if you want, and they will come, come right to you. And they do that, at least our midwives, for the first couple of weeks, they, they're coming to you quite regularly. So it, it kind of depends on the needs of the baby. But we saw our midwives probably every two to three days for the first couple of weeks to do, you know, weight checks, make sure feeding's going well. They offer, you know, sort of breastfeeding support. They obviously check mom, see how, um, see how I'm feeling. And yeah, so it's, it's so nice to have that care right in your home. And so that happens for the first couple of weeks, give or take. And then you start with, I think every other week. So maybe at uh, two weeks, four weeks and six weeks, I think you go into the office, um, the midwife office, and and they do the same kind of things there. And obviously, they, they will see you more regularly or at home if there are circumstances that would require that or, or they think it's advantageous to see you a little more often. Uh, so it kind of depends on how baby's doing and how mom's doing. But definitely get some some good regular, regular care. And you know, at that six week mark, when they do the the discharge visit, like I think I was in tears because I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna <laughs> how I'm gonna not see you guys, you know, for the the rest of this time. I wish I could just be in midwife care forever. So tell me, how many total visits did you have after the hospital with this last pregnancy? That's a good question. So I would say I probably had let's call it four or five visits at our home. So maybe five visits at home and then a couple in the office. So maybe a total of, you know, seven visits, I think postpartum with, with my daughter. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I cannot, I mean, (laughs) I cannot even imagine like having that many visits before we even have our first visit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, you know, like I said, it depends a little bit on sort of what's going on with mom and baby. So, you know, if everything looks good, you might see them a little bit less often. And, you know, if, if, uh, if feeding and everything is going well, and you don't require quite as much support, then you, you know, you might see them a little bit less often, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And even during, during the pandemic, our appointments beforehand, so the uh, prenatal care, was a little bit less frequently. Mm-hmm. So they, they spread them out a little bit more. They did a few more phone visits when they could, right? If they didn't need to do any measurements or any tests at that appointment, some were sort of converted to uh, phone appointments if there weren't any concerns. But definitely, you know, postpartum, I felt like I had the same kind of care I had in 2018 with my son. Yeah. I, I don't think that that, uh, that really changed very much for me. Wow. That's crazy. So you had your six week appointment. They, did they go over anything about like pelvic floor physical therapy? Do they do any of that up there? So they, they talk a little bit about it. And I, and I think midwife actually gave me a card of, or talked a little bit about somebody that they partner with that can do that kind of thing. But I I wouldn't say there's a huge emphasis on it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they even mentioned it is way more than they do here. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, I literally fell upon this when I was talking about how I had tailbone pain randomly after my third child. And actually, like one of my friends, 
like that I had met through the internet, like she's a pelvic floor physical therapist was like, Oh, let me help you. Let me try to help you. The vagina whisperer. I had her on here once. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, I did yeah. That. And I was like, wait, what are you? I didn't even yeah. know they existed, you know? And I, and I had three kids before realizing that there was something called a pelvic floor physical therapist. So yeah, I feel like I've heard about it more recently. Like it's, it's sort of become, yeah, uh, you know, more people know about it. I really feel very strongly that women should automatically have one appointment with them, like six to eight weeks postpartum, just to kind of go over like anything that might feel, you know, uncomfortable or not normal. And then to like be given some exercises that will help to, you know, rehab the pelvic floor after delivery, because no matter if you had a C-section or a vaginal birth, I mean, you did carry around a baby for nine months and everything's loosey goosey. Everything's misplaced. You don't realize like, depending on how you were carrying, like you could have, you know, your hips are out of alignment, your, and it can affect so many different things. So I'm just so appalled that we just don't have more education surrounding that. And hopefully, you know, in the coming years after everybody, you know, starts talking about it, hopefully it'll change a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have your six week appointment. Is there anything after that or do you just go back to regular? Yeah. So after that, you just go back to your family doctor and obviously they see baby at two months and four months and six months. And then, yeah, and then I would say like, you know, postpartum care for mom sort of ends at that point, unless obviously you follow up with your doctor on, on specific concerns, but there's nothing sort of after that six week mark yeah, for mom specifically. So if some, and you might not know the answer to this, but if somebody, so say I wanted to move to Canada and I move there, how easy is it to automatically get enrolled in universal healthcare? Do you know? So I think you just have to be a resident of Ontario. So I, I'm not sure like the whole visa thing mm-hmm. and and sort of, you know, whether you have to be a permanent resident or or just have a visa, but definitely every every resident in Ontario. And then I think there's there's a rule of how many days you have to live in Ontario per year because we have a lot of snowbirds because of the snow. So a lot of people going down to Florida. So I think you, it's maybe like 190 days or something like that. So, so probably, you know, half the year you have to be in Ontario to still qualify for OHIP. So I think the the snowbirds sort of plan their uh, uh, winter (laughs) escape around that. Yeah. Makes sense. Now you have younger kids. So I'm not sure. I'm sure you have some, some friends and family that have older kids. So you might be able to speak to this, but your schooling system now, can you kind of just like go into how your schools are traditionally set up? Like, do they get a lot of outdoor time? When do they typically start? Do they emphasize starting earlier or later? I mean, I know in, in Germany, she was seeing, you know, the kids do not start reading and writing until they're in first grade. So, you know, a lot of these kids are like seven years old when they start reading or writing at all. So do you know, you know, how, how they teach there, how their schooling systems are set up? You're right. I don't have a ton of experience because my kids aren't school-aged yet, but uh, you know, so we, we have, we start with junior kindergarten here, which is more optional. And then, you know, you move to senior kindergarten, which I think, you know, more people end up in enrolling their kids in in senior kindergarten. And I think they start pretty early with the, you know, the reading, the writing and the the letters and and all of that. I think it's probably a little bit more traditional, not quite as as forward thinking as Germany. 
uh, at least from, you know, my experience in, in our education system years ago, and then from some friends that I have whose kids are in school as well. You know, there are, are certainly private school options here uh, that have more of that, you know, emphasis on outdoor time mm-hmm. and different activities and things like that. But, but I would say our school system is probably a little bit more traditional in terms of, of the milestones. There's, uh, you know, you, you talked earlier uh, when we were chatting about testing and standardized t- testing and stuff. And I think that that's, that's something in Ontario, I think that's really hot button. You know, it's, uh, there, there's a lot of call to sort of abolish those, mm. those types of tests. Yeah. I don't think ours are quite as meaningful as the ones that you were talking about, you know, where, where compensation mm-hmm. is, is tied to test scores and things like that. But I think there's a lot of thought that they, that they aren't necessary, that they don't really, you know, get you very far. And so, um, so we do have some of those tests still, but I think that they're starting to be a movement away from those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Now that actually brings me up to a question. I was just thinking, do you have to pay for childcare? For example, in Germany, she was saying that they just start covering childcare, you know, at like a daycare down the street at age two. And like, this is all paid by the government, you know, it's like your taxes pay for it. Mm-hmm. Do they have anything like that in Canada, or you pay for daycare, or if you if you need daycare, you pay for daycare all the way up until they go to is it junior kindergarten? Yes, exactly. So okay. so that is the model right now. And funny enough, the government has actually just introduced in their most recent budget a move towards universal child care as well. Oh, interesting. The current plan is to roll that out, I think by, was it like 2025 or something like that? Oh to start sort of bringing those costs down. And, and I, I think the idea is it wouldn't be completely free, but it would be heavily subsidized. Would that increase your taxes? It might. I mean, I, mean, I think all this COVID stuff, um, you know, we've had tons and tons of packages for obviously people who have been out of work because of all these restrictions. So yeah. I have a feeling our taxes are going up quite a bit over the next little while to pay for all of this stuff anyway. So yeah. might as well just throw in universal childcare in there and we probably won't even notice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that so that's the idea. It'll be interesting because, uh, you know, similar probably to, to the American system we have right now, we have a, a liberal government, which would be similar to, you know, the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so this is their plan, but I think uh, should they leave office the next election, I think that this plan wouldn't come to fruition. So I think it depends a little bit on what happens in our next election. But, you know, certainly there's a, there's a move towards that right now because childcare is very expensive here. Actually, it's it, funny because uh, I know your family is from Quebec. Quebec actually has a provincially subsidized system. So I have some friends in Quebec who pay, you know, pennies almost for their childcare there. Um, I don't know if that's if that's everywhere in Quebec or just certain centers, um, but they have something provincially. So they're looking at, I think, a similar similar idea nationally right now. But hmm. as of now, we, we, we pay quite a bit for childcare here. So. so tell me, would you do you want universal childcare? Is that something that you would be in favor of? I think I think so. I mean, you know, I think it's it is a heavy burden on parents, especially, you know, given 
maternity leave uh, payments are, you know, you're, you're obviously not making your full salary. And so it, it's hard on parents for the first few years. And I think it, it probably de-incentivizes people to have more kids. Right. Because it is, it is quite expensive. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't know that it has to be totally free, but, uh, but I think the way it is now, it's quite expensive and, you know, it's not fair to ask daycares to lower their rates because they're trying to pay a living wage to the people right. who are watching our children. So I think having a government program that lowers those barriers and lowers those costs for parents makes a lot of sense. And I think it's sort of in line with um, with our other policies here, right, around universal health care and really sort of uh, helping people. Yeah, I think it also helps to just level the playing field a little bit without getting too much into politics. You know, you have families who really need, both parents need to be working, you know, in order to make enough money to feed the family and house a family. And, and, you know, they can't afford this childcare. And in many instances, I know, like, you know, for even us in the States, a lot of people I know, it's there, it's just not worth it to pay childcare and still go to work. Because by the time you do that, you are only making $10 now, you know, whatever it might be, it's just not worth it. You'd rather be home with your kids. Yeah, exactly. And not have to have your kids with someone else and to, you know, barely be bringing home any money. Yes, I think it I mean, I personally think it's a wonderful thing. I know people have thoughts about it. But with universal healthcare, how I'm just curious, how much like out of pocket, you don't have to tell me like a certain number, but how much out of do you have to pay anything out of pocket? No. Oh, wow. So, so I think it's, uh, there are some things that would come out of pocket. So, okay. so like once in a while, there'll be, you know, if you need some blood work, and there's kind of like a weird one thrown in there, there might okay. be something that you have to cover out of pocket. But certainly from a prenatal, postnatal perspective, there's nothing, you know, you don't even see a bill here. So we don't even know how much our care might have cost the government. We just, you know, show our card and, and move on. And, and so I think the, the beauty in that is that I can't imagine a system where I have to consider the financial implications of seeking care. So, you know, it's like, oh, I have this, this worry, but maybe my deductible is this. So, you know, is it worth it to, to seek care? I'm not yeah, probably not too course. serious. So like, I can't imagine having to make those types of decisions or, you know, is it worth another ultrasound to take a look because I can't really afford it? Like those, those kind of things just aren't in the equation here, Yeah, which is, which is beautiful. So the only thing I think that we paid a little bit for here was with my son, not my daughter, because we came home, but if you stay in the hospital, you have sort of access to a a room where there might be multiple mums and babies who just gave birth, sort of separated by by a curtain mm-hmm. for a bit of privacy. So if you want to upgrade to a private room, so our insurance paid for most of it, um, the upgrade to a private room, we just paid, I think, maybe $45 on top of that. But I think if you 45? didn't... Yeah. Oh, that's it. <laughs> but I th- I think and I think if you didn't have that insurance through your employer, it was maybe it it might have been like a thousand dollars or something like that yeah. to upgrade to the private room. Wow. But obviously that's, you know, a luxury that that you don't necessarily need. Right, right. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that so that's really the only thing out of pocket that we paid on either pregnancy. 
So is there any, I know you said there can be some limitations as far as like if they order like a a test that's out of the ordinary, but so for example, I have a friend who was recently diagnosed with cancer. And so she has been, the amount of time that she spent on the phone trying to get insurance to cover all of these different tests, to cover chemo, to cover, you know, all these things has been a legitimate nightmare for her um, here in America. And I mean, I can't even imagine, right, to be to be diagnosed with cancer, right? And then to have to deal with, it's unfathomable. And a lot of us don't ever have to deal with this, right? So we can be cushy in our lives and, and, and say, we don't want universal healthcare. And then, you know, this person that's been struggling and, you know, trying to find all of this help and trying to schedule things and get them covered by insurance, I'm sure would disagree in a heartbeat. (laughs) Yeah. Wishing for universal healthcare. But do you know, you know, if you were, you know, die had, you know, some diagnosis that happened within the year, it's not like they're not going to cover that, right? They just automatically yeah. go into coverage, right? Okay. Yeah. So the so the only thing that's that's not covered is and and you know what, they there is some sort of universal drug program that's recently been implemented. I'm not sure if it's just for 75 plus or if now it applies to everyone. Mm-hmm. But Drug coverage is not included in universal health care, or it wasn't. Okay. And so, you know, a lot of people rely on their employer benefits or employer insurance to cover those types of things. Okay. And then Ontario implemented uh, a drug program for those under 18 and I think over 75. But it might be more broad now, or they were looking at making it more broad. Okay. So, so for somebody, you know, suffering from cancer or, or some other, other things, some of those drugs can be quite costly. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have insurance, then that can certainly, you know, be a concern. And, or, you know, even if it's a, if you do have insurance, sometimes there's, you know, drugs they won't cover or, or things like that. Or, you know, if something is, is deemed more experimental, or if mm-hmm. it's not sort of traditional standard of care or, some of those things may not be covered, but traditionally, you know, all of your healthcare is covered. Now, do you know, like, is it astronomically expensive or is it, you know, just like, oh, okay, this, this one won't be covered. It's going to be, you know, like 20 bucks or is it like, I think, bucks? I mean, I know it depends on the yeah. medication, of course. Right. But like, I don't know, say somebody had, a, you know, a couple of allergies and they just needed to go on a different medication, you know, further high blood pressure that wasn't covered by the universal healthcare. Like, is it usually really expensive? Have you heard? Like you said, it depends on the drug. Some, some can be quite pricey, but I think, you know, traditionally, you know, it wouldn't be any more than it is somewhere else. And, and like I said, I, I'm pretty sure that they are extending the the universal drug coverage now. Yeah, that's great. So I can't believe I forgot to ask you this. <laughs> I guess I haven't had enough of my coffee yet, but like this is like really important. What did you get for maternity leave? Oh yeah, so um <laughs> so mater- maternity leave here is great. So so we have two options here. We have standard and I think what they call extended. So you can either take 12 months, which is the standard, or you can take 18 months which is the extended option. And that option is fairly new. I think a couple, maybe uh, 2017, I think when we got our new liberal government, they implemented this, this 18 month program. And so essentially what happens is you go on unemployment insurance. So it's a, 
a, you know, section of, of unemployment insurance that will pay you up to 55% of your salary, but up to a certain point. So I think it's only maybe 65,000. Um, so anybody who makes above that will be capped out at, at 65. Yeah. So I think it, it ends up being about 600 bucks a week. So it's not, you know, you're certainly not getting rich doing this. But the other important piece is the job protection piece. So, um, you know, your job is protected for up to 18 months. Obviously, your employer doesn't have any say in, in how long you take off. And so uh, you can come back to the same job or similar job 18 months later, uh, which is great. So the so and the first 15 weeks are parental leave. And so those are or sorry, um, those are maternity leave. And so that is just for the mom for recovery and for bonding with baby. And then the remainder of the week. So, um, you know, whether you take extended or standard, the remainder of the weeks can be taken by mom or they can be a split of mom and dad, or they can just be dad. <laughs> so you have the option there to, to oh, share with your partner. Yeah. And, and you can actually do like, you know, you could both take 20 weeks and have, have those 20 weeks at home with baby, both of you together and have some family bonding time, or you can do them, you know, one after another type of thing. Interesting. So you were saying, was it the 15 weeks of maternal leave, like right in the beginning? Are you, is that still like the 55%? Yeah. So payment is the same okay. for um, maternity leave and for parental leave. Some employers, like my employer topped up for eight weeks. So for eight weeks, I got, you know, they, they put in the extra so that I would have oh. full salary for eight weeks. Um, and then after that, it just, it's just the um, unemployment insurance. And then what they do actually for the extended option is, so when you take extended, so if you take 18 months to be with baby, you don't get more money overall than somebody who's taking 12 months, but they, they stretch those payments to 18 months. And okay. so you can, uh, you can take up to 18 months um, with smaller payments or some friends that I know have taken, you know, you can take sort of the 12, the 12 months get uh, get the full payments and then just add an extra two months on top of that that are unpaid. I see. Oh, okay. Got you. As an option okay. too. Yeah. So basically, if you wanted to, you know, you needed to make more money, you would probably go back after 12 months because, you know, you're, you're not going to be getting paid very much during those 18 months, right? I mean, you'd want to like yeah. make the 12 and then go back. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, you know, it, it definitely depends on your financial situation and, and you know, what, what you value as well. The other thing about um, unemployment insurance here is that you need, uh, I believe it's 600 insurable hours in order to qualify. And so you have to have worked 600 hours. Okay. Not necessarily at your current job, but just in the last year. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, so <laughs> with the 18 month option for somebody who's having babies close together, um, that can be a little bit tricky because, mm. you know, you may go back to work and already be expecting. So if you want to receive. Oh, right. Yeah. Because you're taking 12 months. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So like if I had taken 18 months last time, I, I would have gone back to work pregnant. And so for some people, like, especially if your babies are pretty close together, that can be tricky to get in the 600 hours you need in order <laughs> yeah. to qualify again. So, gotcha. okay. so some people, you know, the 12 months works better just because of their family planning as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of employers here will do some, some sort of top up, 
so, you know, some it's just a couple weeks and some employers, I think especially, you know, some some government jobs and things like that, they'll, they'll do actually quite a bit of top up for for a decent amount of time. So that's pretty cool. Wow. So that's just crazy. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know why we're so behind over here. It drives me crazy. Yeah, look, it's funny, right? Because I, you know, just being on some mom forums and things like that, you know, when people are talking about, you know, going back to work with their with their three month old at home, I was like, I, oh can my you God. even imagine? I, like, <laughs> like mine was still waking up like six times a night. I was a mess. Like, yeah, I don't know. And like, we were just snuggling on the couch all day. So I don't yeah. know how I would have ever like, you know, put on work clothes and. <laughs> I got myself together enough to go back, but I would imagine though that your rates of postpartum depression, anxiety, and all of those things must be lower than ours, right? Because I mean, I I, I should look into it because you know you're you're not having to worry and put all that stuff on your plate, you know? Yeah, like at three months, like I feel like you know you're still figuring out breastfeeding, and then oh yeah. You know, there's just there's just so much happening. It's hard. It's hard for it's hard to imagine. So I know you briefly had mentioned this too. Do they put a a big emphasis on uh, breastfeeding and and teaching you how to nurse and giving you the resources that you need? Yeah. So so definitely in midwife care, they helped a lot in those early days. And then where I am as well, the the region itself has free lactation clinics, um, and so with my son, you know, he had a, a couple little latch issues. And so I think we probably went like three or four times. It's just a, a drop in kind of thing. And you can you can talk to a nurse and they'll walk you through it. They'll watch you nurse kind of correct positional stuff and mm-hmm. and really help. And, and for me, I think it made all the difference. Like we had we had a wonderful breastfeeding journey. And I think that that's that's because I had so much support to begin with. Because yeah. it's hard in those oh, early days. So hard. I mean, it wasn't even until you know my how fourth. a lot of people give up. Like, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I had problems with every single one of my kids except for my last one, and I knew what to do and what to ask for with my last one, and that's yeah. the only why it was. That's the only reason why it was successful <laughs> from the get go. But like all the other ones, and I mean. I, you know, the first one was obviously rocky, but like I, I did get, you know, the, the help that I needed. It wasn't offered to me, but I knew where to find it. And so it, it's just so upsetting that some, you know, like first time moms, like don't even know, you know, they're just doing what they're told and they don't know to ask for help or they don't know to say, Oh, Hey, you know, like, can you send in the lactation consultant? Like they don't even know they're available. And I think that that, like, that was definitely one of the, you know, the wonderful things about working with with my midwives in particular is they just have so many like wonderful partnerships and mm-hmm. uh, community resources and, and things like that, that they're able to tell you about. And so, you know, like, you know, that they're there and yeah. you can, you can use them and, and especially here, like they're free. So easy to just pop in. There's no barrier to kind of being able to go in there and just get some support. And, yeah. you know, if you have to go 10 times, there's not like, you know, a concern that it's gonna, it's gonna hit your checkbook. Right, right, exactly. In, in a really negative way. So although I, I know my sister, my sister used a lactation consultant that she paid for. So that's, I think, an, an option too. And I think mm-hmm. there are some some clinics that operate that way. But there are also some really great community resources that are available. Mm-hmm. 
That's awesome. So is there anything that you wanted to point out that is something really awesome about, you know, parenting and having children in Canada that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, definitely my my two maternity leaves have been very different. So when my son was born, like in Ontario, we have we have a ton of uh, free programming that's really amazing for kids. So our libraries do some awesome, you know, infant story times. Mm-hmm. We have something here called the Early Year Center, which has all kinds of drop-ins for new moms. And I actually have met some wonderful friends that way. And, you know, I don't know where I'd be without them because we were sort of in the trenches together with our firstborns. And we met through these community programs offered here, being able to take advantage of, of that kind of thing and having, having so much in the community has, has been so important. And so, you know, my heart breaks a little bit for, for new moms right now because all of this stuff is closed. It's so hard to connect with. Uh, with new moms to start with and to sort of build that support network. So, you know, I would say normally in Ontario, we have great access to community-based support for moms and and for babies and activities to do and things like that. But, but this pandemic has changed a lot of things. So I, uh, I feel for, for anybody who sort of has a, a newborn right now and is struggling and I hope that things, you know, get back to normal soon. I know for all of us. Yeah. I know. I really hope so for you guys because I do feel like it's you've kind you've kind of been behind the eight ball like the whole time, and it's just like oh, I mean I've been hearing I always get these messages from people being like, is it okay that I'm getting you know like my vaccine is you know instead of being four weeks apart they were doing them I don't remember what they said four months <laughs> yeah okay yeah four months They're like is this okay like probably yeah it's been. Um... You know, and it's funny because so, so, well, not funny, but, but my family actually got COVID. Yeah. And, you know, for a long time, because our rates were like, you know, even compared to, I think a lot of the densely populated states, at least like our numbers were were teeny tiny. And and even now they're, you know, they're still pretty small, but so, so, you know, you kind of go all this time without really knowing anybody who's had it. And then all of a sudden we, we got it. My son picked it up from his daycare teacher and brought it home to us. And and we unfortunately gave it to my parents. But I think it's, you know, it was it was nice to sort of see that we all fared okay. Yeah. And that kind of happened right as vaccinations were were ramping up. So it kind of felt like, okay, we've, we've got like a little bit of immunity here, but everything's locked down, we can't do anything. And so I'm, I'm just happy that that vaccines now are, they're free flowing. So yes. um, hopefully yeah. we will you know, be in a position to to open things up again and get my hair done. <laughs> I, I know it's like one of those things post baby that you're just like really looking forward to, I'm sure. Yeah, it's funny, right? Like all this stuff that that I never thought I really cared that much about. But I'm like, I haven't had a pedicure in like a year and a half. So <laughs> it'll be nice when uh, when we can do those normal things again. Well, I hope it's soon for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you two questions that I always ask my podcast guests, and it's not necessarily anything that we talked about today. So the first question is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to moms? It can be about anything. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I would say, 
you know, and, and, and maybe this is easier said than done, but, you know, like find a community, find other new moms going through the same thing, try to, you know, try to make those connections in your community. Because, you know, some of the friends that I've made on mat leave, and now, you know, my sister has a baby, and my sister in law has a baby, like, you know, those types of relationships, I think, are, are invaluable, like just somebody yeah. to be your sounding board, somebody to let you know, you're not alone in this, you know, to commiserate with, yeah. when you, you know, you're going through the four month sleep regression, and teething and all this stuff, right? Like just, just find and and sometimes for people, it, it you know, it doesn't make sense for that to be in person, maybe that's online in some kind of community. And, mm-hmm. but yeah, find, find some people that you can that you can talk to. Yeah, and I do, I do, though, love that you brought up that you've been able to meet these moms like in person because I do think there's a lot of value in these community groups online because you know some moms don't have anybody or any resources of meeting people in person so I, I totally get that but I do think that it's really important to try to find people in person because you know I'm doing all of this like research and reading a ton of books on just like technology and how it's kind of like taking over and I think yeah. there's so much to be said making friends in person and to be able to spend that time in person with somebody even talking on the phone um, as opposed yeah. to talking to somebody through a screen is just so invaluable like you can just it's yeah, I just, well, I, I, I recommend there especially because everything was sort of in in the community and community based. Like you end up meeting yeah. people who are close by, right? So you can just say, like, I really need to get out for a walk today. Like, can you just come walk with me for a, a little while while our babies, you know, nap in the stroller, yeah, so that I can, yeah. you know, or you know, go grab a coffee down the street or or you know, whatever it is. It's it's so nice to have people in your community to just have some adult interaction. Exactly. And let you know you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So second question is if you could make one meal for your whole entire family that everybody would eat, that's quick and easy. What would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. So we do, we've been doing a lot of like, you know, we'll do like a bowl. So just like either sausage or chicken, rice, cooked vegetables, kind of like throw everything together. Mm, yeah. Like a rice we're, we're pretty lucky because my son will, my son is like, he's tiny, but he's this little, he'll throw anything down. Yeah. He's a really good eater. But yeah, we, we like to do stuff like that. And now it's, it's really nice that, that it's nice weather here because uh, we do a lot of barbecue. So just yeah, yeah. steak or some chicken or some, uh, some pork. And it's, it's nice because I feel like that's kind of my, my husband's gig. So, so I get a little bit of reprieve <laughs> from the cooking. So, yeah. yeah so, so we keep it pretty simple, but I would say we like to kind of just, just throw a bunch of stuff together in a bowl. Um, it's kind of our, our go-to for quick and easy. Yeah. I love that. And I think kids too really like when you, so like I'll do that and I'll put all the different things like in a bowl on the table so they can make their own bowl. And when yeah, they're in exactly. charge, they're like, Ooh, you know, and they can put like the cheese on top and like this, the dressing that they want or, you know, whatever. And they just find it to be like, so fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you can like change it up a little bit with whatever, if you want to put sauce or, you know, different flavorings and stuff. There's, yeah. there's options there. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, Jess. I know it's hard with young kids. Yeah, no, you know what? This was great timing because it's actually a holiday here. So my husband's on on baby duty downstairs. Well, there you go. And you can just pretend. You can pretend that this is just, it went way longer than expected. 
I'll back you up if he asks. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your holiday. I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.